Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their folkloric origins to their current pop culture incarnations. I'm your host for this episode, Cameron. It's me, two weeks in a row. Hi, everyone. Uh, and we're back in business. We've got both of our regular hosts here. We've got Dave and Leonard. Dave, how are you doing? Um, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, it's good to be back. Um, the place appeared to be in good hands while I <laughs> took time off to scream into the void um, mm. over Black Friday. That was something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I missed out on all the Mad God good. I still haven't watched that yet. <laughs> I, yeah. I need to find it's, some time to watch it. It's uh, worth an experience watch. Uh, it, it, it sounded like else. it. It sounded quite the the challenging ride. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Leonard, how are you doing? I'm good. Hi, kids. I'm back. I I left. I abandoned you willingly, uh, d- delightfully. <laughs> delightfully <laughs> with joy in my heart and uh refreshed myself i ingested some souls and some um not being online all the time and now i have oh, ship of theseus nice. myself back into uh your wonderful company so it's good to be back i hope yeah. everyone missed me and much like the the statues found all around Yarnum were reaching to the sky <laughs> begging for my return it it is very nice they probably were but yeah. we couldn't see it because twitter's like Oh my God. right now yeah oh, <laughs> yeah oh. it's, been, it's been a couple of weeks of me just instead of being on twitter just jumping around five different social media platforms to see if anything's happening and going well no nothing's collapsed or cemented itself as the winner yet so i, I guess know, i'm just still gonna hop skip around for a bit yeah <laughs> and then some of them are just like ooh, i i it it initially seemed to be like oh this this could work and then now I'm just seeing stuff going, hey, maybe don't go on that one. There's no security. It's really bad. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a that. shame. That is a shame. I simply refuse to leave. <laughs> I will um, uh, openly admit that uh, I, uh, when when Twitter first started, I thought mm. it was a stupid idea because, yeah. quite frankly, yeah. I think... Uh, Having an open forum to say whatever you think is a stupid idea because uh, uh, most people are stupid. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. and <laughs> so the only reason I actually currently exist on Twitter is because I need it as a you know place to promote myself and the work that I do. If mm. that wasn't the case, I would not be on the platform. But that said, I will not be bullied off of it by <laughs> the imbecilic buffoon currently running it. Leonard just chaining himself to the wheel of Twitter. I've been here longer than you. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. I don't, um, I engage with a few folks on there, uh, mm. but pretty sparingly. I, I never, I've never have like done a lot of engagement, but the thing is, mm. I don't know anywhere else to promote stuff. Like that's yeah. just where I've been. Mm. So it's that same sort of, well, I don't have a, uh, not a following, but a platform built yeah. up anywhere else. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm not going hard. back to Facebook. What's wrong? Oh, no, no, that stuff. I deleted that <laughs> crap like a long, yeah. long time ago. Although yeah, you say delete my... it, but you can still just yeah. recover it. It's very oh, silly. Yeah. yeah, my Facebook the only is forever to contact my grandparents. Yeah. That's all it's for. <laughs> and then I thought about stuff like Reddit. I don't understand Reddit still. Like I, uh, I keep yeah. trying to go look at it, and I'm like, I can't. Don't know what's happening here. I can't. It's a bit of a mess. I can't. <laughs> parse it my my brain yeah. doesn't want to like deal with it i could rather go look at a old record just a forum like where's forums at i like that ah oh, i miss forums those were good <laughs> yeah i mean they had their own issues but i it was understandable mm. like i could navigate yeah. them yeah yeah exactly but well yeah, that's just like don't know yeah don't uh we have a discord but we have you know, no one shows up there, so no. that's fine. <laughs> I tried. Uh, I tried real hard to like run that, but nah, I'm I'm no good at that kind of thing. Don't worry, not many people are. I'm not one of them either. Um, yeah. but yeah, let's let's look uh, outward from the horror of the modern digital world and inward uh, to the horror of the modern fictional world we've uh we've distributed digitally amongst ourselves um last week we discussed mad god which was a much anticipated film by a very well-known uh personage within the within the film industry uh this week we're going to talk about antlers uh which is a less anticipated film bankrolled by someone very famous in the film industry that i i <laughs> watched so um, for, for context, Antlers is a film that came out in October 2021. It was actually slated to release in April of 2020. Uh, so there, there, there was a, sort of its first big issue. Um, it's produced by Guillermo del Toro, uh, which was sort of the, the big thing going for it initially. Is like, oh, Guillermo del Toro is backing backing a project. This looks good. This looks good. And then I saw the trailer for it on the day it was meant to come out and went, wow, that looks awesome. I'm going to go watch that. And then I went, wait, didn't literally everything just lock down? And then I, uh, then I had to wait a year and a half to watch this film. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Antlers is a 2021 horror suspense film, uh, directed by Scott Cooper and based on a short story, uh, The Quiet Boy by Nick and Tosca. Uh, and this is sort of going to join other things we've talked about, like Until Dawn in the Native American folklore and particularly the Wendigo discussion. Um, yeah, we did the yeah. Algernon Blackwood um, yes. stuffs. Yes, we did do that story absolutely forever ago. <laughs> yeah, it's been a few years. Um, been a few uh, years. The other Nick and Tosca's uh, things were more recent he did um the mm. the um, channel 43 what is it yeah yeah 
Channel something. Channel. Yes. Something. <laughs> channel zero. Channel zero. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, yes. Channel zero. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. why I said channel forty-three. No. That's the other thing. That's the analog. Um, yeah. Weird one. Hmm. Mm. From the um, other guy that did channel zero <laughs> stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's why I, got, I kind of confused myself because there's multiple people involved with these projects. He also did the brand new cherry flavor um, uh, anthology like little series okay. thing, um, which yeah. I didn't yeah. watch, but I heard was good. Oh, I might check that out then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I I personally waited for a long time for this film to come out. Um, I was very glad to be able to go and see it in cinema. And finally, again, a year and a bit after that, actually talk about on the show. Um, yeah, let's, let's, go, let's go with a brief overview here. This is, uh, yeah, this, this is a, a horror suspense piece set in Cispus Falls in central Oregon. I have no idea if Cispus Falls is a real town. I assume it's not. Um, I would say it's probably not. But it's, you, you know, it's that, it, yeah, it's that, it's that quintessential Oregonian small town feel uh, of this used to be a big mining town and now it is decidedly not. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it the the film overall is not necessarily directly about the monster and is more about uh issues of in particular like abuse and generational trauma uh and societal issues like that um with the the monster sort of working its way through the film as an allegory for that kind of thing um because yeah in the absence of the mining boom this town has definitely fallen uh from its previous heyday uh and you know there's a lot of issues in town um <laughs> we 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 start out in the old mine the greymouth mine i believe they call it uh where a young boy is sort of just hanging around outside playing around in the in the abandoned ruins and then when he hears a strange noise runs back to a truck and jumps in just as his dad comes out of the abandoned mine with a gas mask and a big old box of mysterious stuff uh because they're they're running a meth lab out of an abandoned mine because that's the best way to make money in this small town apparently um from here they they go back down into the mine for a moment to sort of pack up uh and an ancient evil has stirred down here in the dark uh and mysterious thing attacks both the the father and his co-worker uh, co-producer of drug partner <laughs> partner. Yeah. partner partner in crime that's a good way to put it thank you <laughs> words escaping my mind as they always do uh and as the as the the gunshots and the screaming start the little boy hops out of the truck looks into the mouth of the mine um asks for his father and we cut to the title um this entire film <laughs> is so gray i think is the main thing I can say about it visually is it's really selling this sort of depressed air. Does that make it, sense? It's, yeah. it's so uh, uh, there, I do have a couple of notes on the way that this film looks. Um, yeah. Uh, it is uh, the cinematography for this film is really, really gorgeous. Like it is, mm. it's, it's a depressed 
uh, but very beautifully shot film. Like mm-hmm. it, it really nails its mood and atmosphere, especially in like the early opening of it. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, uh, the monster uh, aspect of it uh, plays a very small part in this film overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of mood, a lot of tone. Yes, it is very gray. I believe the most colorful thing I ever saw in the film was some grass. Um, yeah. They're uh, really like long, lingering, wide angle shots of scenes, uh, scenes framed that way um a lot of Mm. shots of just the since it's set in oregon like it's the pacific northwest and it's a gorgeous Mm. area um but it is it like it's presented as cold damp and destitute like yes really having fallen like out of its heyday now that the mining operation dried up in cespis falls yeah yeah absolutely uh but good news everybody the mining's coming back as the as the Environmental Protection Agency strips environmental regulations in the area. So we're going to reopen that mine in a couple of months, right? Um, <laughs> which uh, you know is probably why the the ancient evil has awoken again. Um, you know the, the the sort of the dis the the traditional uh, horror movie trope of the the disrespecting of nature or traditional territories is often what can bring about monsters, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, from here on, the film gets rolling. Uh, it doesn't have a massive runtime, so it does things pretty efficiently. Uh, we begin to follow uh, the day in the life of our young protagonist, Lucas, who is the older brother of the young boy we saw in the truck, named Aiden, as we find out later. Uh, he just spends his days, it seems, going to school and then roaming about collecting roadkill and or killing skunks uh, himself and taking the carcasses home uh, because he's living in a very dangerous situation. It was his father down in the mine. It was his little brother that was captured. And they, you know, they all live together in an essentially abandoned house up uh up overlooking the town and in the house is one very important door you can tell it's important because it has all the brand new shiny locks very securely placed on it and a little medicine bag uh in the in the native american style also on there as a ward uh and this this is how lucas spends his time you know he <laughs> cuts up some roadkill uh listens to some screaming in the night puts on headphones to ignore the terrible noises in his home. Uh, and otherwise, he goes to school where our other sort of, sort of protagonist, uh, Julia, his classroom teacher, uh, has noticed that there's definitely something wrong, not just in the town in general, but with Lucas in particular. Uh, Julia herself has recently moved back to Cispus Falls uh, after she left as a teenager. To, uh, and once again, this this movie being about the human element of it, she escaped Cispus Falls to escape the abuse of her own father, and has only recently returned to sort of make up and reconnect with her younger brother after their father passed. Uh, and she's not having a great time of it either. It's 
the, I, I really like the classroom scenes because as a teacher, I can sort of connect there a bit. There's nothing more frustrating and also disheartening than a room full of kids who more or less refuse to acknowledge you. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> it's real rough. Um, but it, it, again, it is that, that depressed overall environmental feeling here is a lot of this I feel is not just she's the new teacher and there's only one kid who really wants to work on making her feel welcome here it like these kids overall again they're in an area where you know they're not getting the opportunities and and um experiences that they sort of need at that young age they've become a lot less uh outwardly interactive with adults and that kind of thing um and you know this, this sort of varies through the classroom uh you have lucas who's actively dealing with absolutely terrible stuff every day. And they've got the rest of the kids who just kind of live in a, a, a depressed area, socioeconomically speaking. Um, which, you know, you, I've, I've, I've seen in my days being around at different schools doing various things, whether it's volunteer work or regular paid work. There's, it is sort of a thing that can happen and it sort of really comes through quite, um, authentically here i feel at least uh but they're talking very importantly as always with a school scene in the beginning of horror movie uh about something that sets the theme of the of the whole story uh they're talking about stories and how they're used to pass down uh you know information down through generations and how to tell people about how we live and all that kind of thing uh and so she, she ends up asking lucas to tell a story uh, because everyone's been working on a story in class, and uh, he just comes out with the the most thinly veiled, clearly clearly a cry for help slash we are in a horror movie. Please understand this story I've ever, heard, which is the tale of the three bears, in which father bear and baby bear get very mean and angry and sick, and they don't have anything to eat except raw meat. But it's okay, because they were still together, all three bears, even if Little Bear had to do all the lifting himself. Um, notably, Lucas hasn't written this story down anywhere. Uh, he has instead been dedicating his time to drawing a bunch of, like, traditional horrifying creepypasta images in his in his notepad yes he he has he has in fact graduated from the uh child art school of horror movie uh uh scribble uh mm. uh images which mm. is uh i'm just like oh man like did he was he the one that drew the babadook when oh absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah, this, that this was kid created the Babadook. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the. <laughs> it's always the most impressive thing is because they they make the the kid horror art. It's it's a it's a set design. It's a specific design mm. that you know. No kid's going to be able. To, it's it's too well put together. Right. Yeah. The composition's yeah. too yeah. strong. It's too well done. <laughs> but it just happened to be done with crayons. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like this kid's only ever seen one movie and it's Tin City. Uh, <laughs> and also, and also he hates bears. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all blacks, whites and stark reds. And yeah, it, it is. Yeah. You're exactly right. That, that um, sort of 
I guess you'd call it tropey at this point. It's become standardized no, yeah. enough across. Yeah, yeah, yeah th- that tropey, very, very childlike, but definitely not actually childish style. No, yeah, and it's something yeah. that like I've tried to mimic before. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, it's just well done, and it's mm. hard. It's yes. hard yeah. to draw in, in that style. Mm, like mm. draw as if you were a child drawing, but still like yeah. convey more with it because you have more skills. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I've I've also tried to recreate that style, and it looks like a child actually drew it, but it doesn't convey <laughs> the horror, the actual That's horror. Awesome. Um, oh man, yeah, it's been there, done that. Uh. I've I, I've absolutely been there. Look, I'm I'm not ashamed to admit. Uh, back before I started doing all this podcast and stuff, I had a I had a phase where I thought Splendor Man was really cool, and I tried to make a little prop journal, and it was god awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I still got that in a box somewhere. I don't want to look at it. Someone's going to find it in fifty years and be either very concerned or very very uh, laughing about my absolute lack of skill. <laughs> Oh, um goodness. man yeah uh but uh you know between between the abuse at home between being bullied at school by one uh really really um full of himself redhead kid yeah it's it's the it's the kid <sighs> from uh christmas story oh yeah it is isn't it's it? the bully from christmas story he made it oh, here he's, yeah he's it's yeah uh. <laughs> Made his way across. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't have his little um, uh, raccoon hat. Yeah, but he's got his toadies. Or yeah, like yeah. His toadies. he has his it's toadies in it, like it, one scene. Yeah, mm. It, mm. It, it's the same kids. It's like they transported them from the eighties to here. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> again very uh, archetypal, stereotypical. Some might say, um, but yeah, it's not go- not going well for poor Lucas with all that. Um, he tears up some of his work and throws it away, and his teacher finds it uh, just just to make sure everything's okay, and takes it home and starts piecing together. And it's just this sketch of like a circular fanged maw with a child huddled up and crying inside it, with like the amorphous shape of a face around all of that, and <laughs> she's getting really wrapped up in it. When her brother comes home, he's the sheriff of this uh of this small town and he's not having a great time of it. He actually only took the position because basically no one else wanted it. Yeah, he was just running out of uh, like he just like, well I just stuck my hand up and whoops. Yeah. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I was gonna, gonna do you know, I thought someone else was gonna take it yeah. instead. Nope. You you got saddled with uh what to be fair, sounds like an awful job. Uh like I I'll be, I'll be I don't okay. think I'm... the job sounds that bad, except for like this particular instance where it just uh, was really bad. Yeah, well, he he does like when he's first introduced, he's like, "Yep, I get, I have to start work in like fifteen, and that's me going to somebody's home and evicting them, giving them ten or fifteen minutes to pack as much of their stuff as they can and get in their car if they have a car." Or if they uh, yeah. have somewhere to go, he's like, yeah. No, I mean, the the job, it sucks, but um, yeah. yeah, he's on, like, a bunch of medication and stuff. 
Mm. Yes, uh, which I think is kind. Of, there's a very interesting uh, parallel between uh, him, Paul. I believe it's Paul. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul and his sister. Uh, which is uh, there are numerous scenes of her in like a drugstore early on in the film mm. where she is eyeing uh, bottles of liquor. Uh, yep. Very very hard uh, and mm. never buys it and. Uh, Paul is on this medication and we don't know why we don't know what mm. it's for, but he's taking pills constantly throughout mm. the film. Yeah. With like the radio in the background going and so-and-so about the opioid epidemic in the exactly. Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah, going it's a, well it's in this small town for anyone, but in particular, yeah, Paul's got his own issues. Well, like, yeah, no, they, yeah. <laughs> they, they were both suffering abuse under their father. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she personally thinks that she got the worst of it. Mm. I mean, it, it was pretty, her arm was like shattered and she had to hide under like the kitchen floor and all kinds mm. of, it, it was bad. It was um, very bad, yes. <laughs> and she's like laying a lot of that, a lot of her 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 guilt and mm. because she left her brother there just to take care of their dad who was already yeah abusing them and i think mm. going um senile yeah uh probably. so she has a lot of guilt for doing that and then coming back and then trying to leave again um mm. To unpack al- alongside the ptsd and everything and like all the stuff that she was going through mm. But, like, not acknowledging that her brother was, like, doing that. He was stuck with it, too. And he makes a mention. It's, like, a a one line where he's just, like, Mm. he's not angry. He's just tired. Like, there's not, he doesn't have anything. He doesn't despair to, like, be upset about, like, to her. No. Um, He's just resigned and trying to, like, he's so busy. He's just trying to do mm. his job and his get on each day. Um, yeah, he's like, you don't know what dad did to me. Yeah, you know, and there's yeah. so that's implying a lot of things. Um, mm. But that's what he's dealing with, and that's I think part of why he's probably self medicating. Right. Mm. The whole, oh, the whole sure. movie is that, that that's the point of the movie. It's not like mm. the monster. Um, yes, but it's not making any of that. The the horror itself is not any less effective because it's uh, entrenched in like real human tragedy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, this falls in line. <laughs> sorry, just just yeah, real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. falls in Please. line with um with and I've been workshopping this term, so please don't think that it's <laughs> something that you need to use or apply to anything. But like the quiet desperation horror. Um, mm. In films recently, specifically horror films, I'm once again uh, thinking like Babadook, Hereditary, yep. mm. like like I think of like horror movies from like the 80s, like the Slashers and the yeah. Freddies and all that, where it's like, and everything was fine, and then this horror was visited upon these people, and these are films where it is people dealing with really awful like tragic lives and tragic situations and then you also dump this layer <laughs> of like horror. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. The, um so 
Yeah, you mentioned like when you mentioned her. Like, I was trying to think, of what does this remind me of? Um, it reminds me of mm. It Follows. Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Visually, like the the cinematography, mm-hmm. I think is, is mm. what's I'm keying in mostly. And then like the um, the world is not. It's a vast place, but it's not vast with people. No. Like it's very like it, yeah. It's very other and um the this the human drama and the things unfolding uh are are bigger because of it because it's like zooming in on mm. that but then when you step yeah. back you're just seeing like but the people don't really matter so it's real it's a hard <laughs> space to like sit in it's making it uncomfortable right yes yeah um because it's, it's a weird, like, it's not like it's hitting close to home. It's more just going, well, it's just bad. Like, everything is bad. Mm. Like, nothing is good for any of these people. And no. they just take, the, you can't even say they take the small pleasures where they can, because there isn't any evidence of that. Right. Like, yes. There's no evidence of any of them having something that they use as a coping mechanism. Hmm. Like with the exception of Lucas, who has his music to retreat into, but that's not even that's not the function. Or the function is specifically to like retreat mm-hmm. into. That's not that's like carving a safe space versus like oh, I'm in, having a moment of enjoyment or rela- relaxation. Yeah. It's not. It's like absolutely yeah. the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. The um, or we or yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think there's. I think I'm gonna want to watch it actually. Um, the wow, oh, <laughs> edit that in or something. I didn't even it escapes me completely. But um, oh, uh, um, Sleep Has Her House is the movie. Okay, and it's like an hour long shot on on iPhone. Um, oh. basically silent film. Mm. Uh, that's that's. In, I think it's in the Pacific Northwest. It's in the woods, okay. but it's yeah. that yeah. feeling, and it's just nature being devoured by outside forces, like something beyond. Mm. Mm. And there's no, there's no real people. There's no dialogue. There's like a little um, text, I think, in the beginning of the movie, and it's the most uncomfortable. I mean, it's it's hour, so you're sitting there watching. Yeah you know a, a soundless thing for an hour and it'll do like a five minute slow zoom on a waterfall like mm. it, it takes five minutes to zoom in on it yeah um and then when you get up on it the water is like fractals like it's been um, um, photo, photo manipulated yeah so it's just weird it's like that feeling is what this is doing too it's just so far outside of like people being important yes yeah yeah Yeah, it's it's not it's not anthrocentric is what i'm trying to say even though the 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 tone of the movie or what what it's dealing the subject matter is specifically Mm. dealing with people but the horror is like not yeah i think a big part of it is this town is somewhere people just shouldn't be 
like the the main reason for people living here was the mine and the mine's been shut down for long enough that the entire population is sort of just falling apart because yeah there's no purpose for them to be there well it's not only that but they're 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 the irritant they're the wrong mm. thing there right. yeah like they're only harming yeah. it and yeah. the the and and the and the the first people that were there before uh are are there no longer mm. um or the remnants are faded away but they're not gone and are mm. angry yes yeah um yeah it is i think quiet desperation is a good name for it like the, yeah. there's that that sense of something just innately wrong that is quietly present through the whole like every single part of this film uh something always feels off and mm-hmm. i think i think a lot of it you're right dave is just that there shouldn't be people here like modern civilization has no place in this particular area and the film is doing its best to make it feel clear yeah and that's what gets tough with this sort of film and if you start like extrapolating on that and then you look at other landscapes and go, but it's the same. Mm. Like this is just this is just an isolated segment, and you go, oh yeah. yeah, this is un you know this should be like untouched wilderness. Oh yeah, but you start moving around and going, well, shouldn't that too? Like, <laughs> what's the difference? Mm. So yeah. um, <laughs> that that reaches a different like that's that horror. That's that yeah. Um, microcosmic because you're like mm. you're you're zooming in on a thing but then like it's macrocosmic horror without actually meaning the cosmos mm. right. yeah 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 you zoom in and see what's wrong here you zoom out and see well you could really apply that to anywhere yeah yeah you know it's just you know you don't necessarily have the same uh native spirit in other areas that's getting as active i guess i don't maybe in universe there's an antlers universe set of films out there somewhere in the infinity of existence where they just did like 20 of these and it's a different small town in a completely different environment well you just just get to the ritual ancient thing (laughs) yeah true becomes the ritual at that point i guess right yeah (laughs) because again Um, that, that did the same kind of feeling yeah yeah absolutely um but yeah uh so you know um julie is pretty much convinced uh lucas is being abused because at this point you know no 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 one's leaning into the supernatural element of it except lucas maybe knowing roughly what's going on uh so after he gets again terribly bullied the next day because he dared to stand up um even somewhat quietly uh, by decapitating his stuffed toy and filling it with uh, feces and putting it in his bully's bag. Um, she gets him checked out by the nurse, and this kid is literally skin and bones. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he's not been eating well for at a minimum of three weeks, because we know that's the time skip between the mine incident at the start of the film and now. But yeah. This, yeah, this... Uh, the The actor... <laughs> playing Luke like he did such mm. heavy lifting like his oh yeah He's this incredible. kid's like bringing the movie yeah <laughs> he did uh, such a good job Jeremy T Thomas according to Wikipedia 
which is um, good for him. <laughs> yeah, and I, not to make light of this, like, the sequence mm-hmm. and the situation, but it was, like, during the checkup that I was like, oh, my God, this kid looks like little baby Tom York. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I can yeah. see that. Yeah. <laughs> And so I found that a little distracting for the rest of the runtime. <laughs> um, but yeah, it yeah. it was very depressing to see that kid shirtless. Like it was, it mm. felt, it gave me the same feeling as um, uh, what's his name, like the machinist. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was mal- He just looked mal- malnourished and right. like was all scratched up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so he he's clearly been living it pretty rough. Uh, and also, he doesn't take the bus to and from school. He walks. And, like, he, his house is outside of town, like, up in the hills overlooking the, the actual town itself. So this, this kid is, you know, walking several miles each way to and from school every day. Um, so Julia follows him uh, as, he, as he sort of walks through town towards the edge of town. Uh, and as they pass by an ice cream store, which is next to a rehab center with a line that goes around the block, uh, which again, the, the town itself is just full of people in the exact same situation as everyone else we see in this film. We just don't focus on them. Right. Um, yeah, she, she invites him in to have some ice cream and we get what is probably the, the one of the lighter, least, least awful modes in the film, which is, Lucas gets to sit down and actually enjoy some ice cream and a relatively light conversation. Um, I mean, the subject of his dead mother <laughs> The most still like, get probing up. question conversation. Yeah. Better than I, the rest I, of the film for him. I, yeah. I, I do have to say that I actually really like Harry Russell in this film. I like generally mm. think that the acting in this film is good all around as well. She, she's always done a really good job. She just actually doesn't get too many roles. Right. Yeah. Um, and she comes off as like really like yes, it, they're they're the most probing questions humanly possible, but there is like mm. a legitimate like warmth and concern that like her performance radiates when she's doing this. That it's like mm. not just to like like her concern is actually Lucas, and she wants to make sure that this this kids okay and you yeah. know she's doing the thing where it's like uh i'm you know she is a a victim of of abuse and and trauma and is trying to like spare someone else of that um and mm. she can see the signs of that yeah taking place. yeah absolutely she is <laughs> she is one of the the most open openly caring protagonist i think we've had in a lot of the horror films of recent memory like and 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 it is kind of refreshing because there's there's a lot of a lot of horror films sort of lean into the 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 woman in the sort of motherly role being obsessive and domineering and compulsive and that being necessarily not always portrayed in the best light like they amp those up but here she's very focused on it but it's clear that all she wants is for lucas to be safe um and you know make make sure the kid's all right and just don't want anything going going wrong like it did for me uh whereas say in hereditary which another 
stunning performance of someone in that sort of similar role that then continues to devolve and that becomes a lot of the focal point of the horror mm-hmm. whereas here she's just allowed to be a caring person and the horror is everything going on around them rather than what they could have done where this could have turned into another sort of monster thing here um yeah and what's yeah. what's nice or not nice but they um they, both films <laughs> Um, as a comparison, deal specifically mm. with like generational trauma and horror, like like things, yes. yeah, things done by the parents. Um, not only are visited upon their children, but mm. the the potential for those children to repeat or, or just become their parents, yeah, is like the uh, yeah. or the, the the very visible, um, and like brought up worry yeah yeah absolutely uh but yeah she she lets lucas walk his way home and in the meantime just drives up to his house to check it out because she knows he's not going to be there for like another hour or two probably um you know specifically (laughs) after lucas was like don't follow me again like yeah i'm not following you i just know where right. you i'm just breaking it's into in your the records i'm just doing a b and e on your house yeah. while well, you walk home. very very specifically she didn't break an end or anything she walked up to the door and it spookily opened itself as soon as she got within <laughs> five feet of it uh because <laughs> let, let's talk about my... say that at least she does the most human thing and like yeah or not human, but yeah. uh, uh, normal, rational, rational thing. thing that you should do when something mm. weird happens is you just leave. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She she walks up to the spooky house, looks. The car hasn't been driven in weeks. The house is like in complete disrepair. Walks up to the front door. The front door opens on its own, and she hears like a thudding, growling sound from the attic, and just leaves. Yep. She just. Oh man! Look away. at that. Look at that. Look how Look at the time. I know. Look at look <laughs> oh man, that was like the most refreshing thing, <laughs> which I think is really hilarious because then they just have somebody else do the dumb thing later. Yeah. It's the, it, look, it's the police's job to go into spooky buildings and Oh movies. man, I had a, I I so <laughs> I I spent a while watching this movie because I do really like it, but I've got some problems mm. with it. And yeah. I I one of them was just like, oh man, they're doing the dumb thing where the person causes the problem and like mm. and it just imagine if the police had shown up, then the second half of the movie wouldn't have opened or happened and I'm like I I don't think that that would have necessarily have been a bad thing um part of me like coming off of uh uh cabinet of curiosities part of Mm. me kind of wishes that this was in a shorter cabinet of curiosities format uh yeah i could see that i could see that or a masters of horror like Mm. just make it a shorter movie I don't know that it would benefit completely from that because a lot of the of the the strength of this movie is the characterization of the town. Yes. Um and mm. just the lingering long panning shot like they're good. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that cutting though cuz what else are you going to cut out? Of like, the police procedural stuff where the police yeah. don't know what's going on, but the yeah. audience does, and it's the most boring thing in horror <laughs> movies ever. I liked the yeah. lights though. Yeah, I mean, I, the, 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 I wanted to see the. I wanted more of the coroner. 
Yeah. Mm, oh, you mean pun? like literal Dr. Eggman coroner? Or, yeah. Oh, no, that was the doctor. Yeah, that was but, the doctor. I liked him yeah. too. I yeah. liked everybody in this movie. We just did a really – they're fun to see on screen. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I really like this bit partly because, yeah, it plays into sometimes people can be smart in horror films and just get themselves out of a bad situation. Uh, but also in a lot of popular modern interpretations, the Wendigo is just kind of a monster. Mm. It's just it's just a physical thing that's out there, whereas this film sticks a lot more to the traditional native uh, lore about it, which is the actual monster is the spirit that possesses a person who becomes the, the physical monster. And so the, the haunted house ghost stuff is the Wendigo spirit doing its best to engineer a situation where the physical monster can be created. It's, it's, yeah. it's luring people as much as it can and sort of making access to itself easier mm. while still being mostly incorporeal throughout like this full first half of the film. Oh, it's just hungry. It's yeah. just hungry. Just come on in, guys. You you bring in dinner. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Julia then the next day sort of presents this mountain of evidence of clear abuse to the principal of the school. He's like, oh, well, it could be worse, you know. At least he's coming to school. Right. I I, I kind of get her point on that. She lays out very clearly, like a lot of the kids in the town are homeschooled specifically because their parents use them to distribute the drugs they produce or to stop school workers from noticing like methamphetamine just on their shirts and stuff right which is uh rough but it's again the grim reality of this town um but obviously he's coming to school isn't that enough is not going to be enough for an abuse survivor trying to help someone else who's clearly going through abuse um so julia pressure precious principal into Looking into things further, she says she'll, you know, she'll talk with Frank Weaver. I'll talk with his dad. Um, yes, the, as the, good the, as you're going to get. The, the <laughs> meth cooker. I'm going to yeah. talk with the meth cooker and have a reasonable discussion. It'll be not, fine. Because it's not like she doesn't know. Once again, it's a small town. Everybody knows oh, yeah. everything about everyone. So it's just yeah. like nuts that she, like, it, it, she, it feels really weird and cavalier. Like mm. once it's once again, it's just like a, a, a like quiet resignation of like this is how things are and this is mm. what I can do. Yeah, she's she's sort of desensitized to the idea of having to talk to a parent who's potentially dangerous because a bunch of the parents in town are exactly the same as this guy, as far as she knows. Um, and just just what she has to deal with at this point to do her job, I guess, is go like hey why is your kid not coming to school oh you're using him to sell meth good to know i can't really put that on an official record please send your kid to school great conversation i'm leaving uh i assume is a bunch of her home visit stuff that she has to do every now and then um but yeah uh unfortunately this is obviously all in the interest of this actually becoming a monster film in the second half uh and very sadly principal ellen booth up she goes to the Weaver house up in the hills, parks a car, uh, heads inside and hears some noise up in the attic, sees a very locked door and does, to be fair, the, the very normal human interpretation of that thing's really locked up, better see what's behind there, and immediately unlocks it, 
she does pick up the medicine bag, which good for her. Um, a, a modicum of horror sense there. Uh, heads inside and sees Aiden, uh, Lucas's little brother, just this completely malnourished, completely starved little kid sitting uh, shirtless in the middle of the attic. Um, um, yeah, uh, immediately runs over, goes trying to start to take care of him, and gets ambushed by Frank, who at this point has gone through a, a lot of degeneration physically. Like, uh, we, we've seen little flashes of him here and there. He's he's severely malnourished. He's losing hair. His skin is sort of both greasing up and also potentially becoming more translucent. Uh, but at this point, he is physically glowing from within. Like, you can see his rib cage illuminated by, like, literally, he's got an LED for a heart, basically. Um, and he, he jumps the principal, takes a big old bite, and uh, ends up killing her. And that's that. The the monster is out of the box. Um, the box being Frank Weaver's entire body. Uh, as he sort of stands up and antlers begin to burst out of his mouth. Uh, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good... Uh, partial transformation sequence we don't see the whole thing uh but we do then get to see the aftermath of it um because pretty soon after uh the principal's husband calls in a missing person report julia mentions to her brother paul that she had asked her to speak to frank weaver they put two and two together and the police go up to the house and they don't find aiden they do find the principal's body and then they find the hollowed out corpse of Frank is like something literally burst him open like a cocoon. Yeah. Which it, it's a great piece of um, practical effects. It's uh, really good. I actually <laughs> wanted to bring up an, uh, because I don't think we talked mm, about mm. Frank's partner, but yes, that Terry. practical effect that like, that like I was, I watched it a couple mm. of times and I'm like, Oh, this is like a really good, like, use of like practical effects and like it's clear from like the upper not his torso because it's separate Mm. but like the upper half of his torso is like composited in of the actual actor Mm. um uh so it's it's a really effective effect of like this partially eaten completely torn in half body and then yeah. like the actual actor like be- so the face doesn't look weird or goofy um mm. in, yeah. in the shot and it's super effective and i was super impressed by like all the practical effects in this film yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. They are just really, really good. Um, and like, there's a lot of that standard blood and gore stuff, and then then there's the hollowed human cocoon, which yeah. has that again that really almost like papery, translucent quality, which it look they make use of because they like hold it up with a light shining from the other side a few times and things, and mm-hmm. it's really, really freaky to look at. Um, and we get the the ever important bit of info, which is it's charred on the interior, um, which right at the beginning of the film, when the monster first made its appearance, there were embers floating in the air, yes. uh, which seemed to be the, the sort of um, point of reference here, which I found to be an interesting take. Um, traditionally, 
the heart of the Wendigo is an important part of the myth because you have to melt the heart, which is normally a big block of ice, in order to destroy the physical body of the creature, but then the spirit just gets loose again. Uh, but in this case, it's like the other way around. It is a burning heart that must be extinguished, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. I guess they might have just gone with that because it was a more interesting practical effect to be able to show like the glowing fires within. Um, or it could be a, a regional variation on the myth. I don't know. I'm not qualified it's enough to say. Probably regional. Um, the Wendigo yeah. myth was in like uh, all the Algonquin speaking mm. peoples. Yeah, and it's it's, it's, pretty it's, broad. it's multiple tribes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, happy to learn. Either way, if someone knows, just let us know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, at this point, you know, uh, it actually more or less becomes a standard monster movie, but it's done pretty nicely um lucas is walking home from school along the railroad tracks as you do uh when his bully ambushes him and is in turn himself ambushed uh and we get our first sort of it's interesting that our first real momentary look at the creature is a broad daylight one Mm -hmm. um it sort of defies the horror expectation of monsters strike in the dark which i really like this thing is just active in the community at this point um but yeah it's been following lucas from up in the canopy in the trees in the woods uh that the railroad track runs through and then as soon as the bully shows himself it just leaps down from branch and it is this sort of lithe very skinny because it's literally physically malnourished thing you see like a crown of antlers and a sort of a, a feathery mane, more or less. That's all you really get out of this brief look. Uh, and off they go. Uh, Julia and um, oh, good lord, Julia and Paul are talking. And Paul gets the call about a body on the tracks, and they find they find this this young man, Clint, I believe is the bully's name. Yeah. Um, they they find him on the tracks, and the the only reaction Paul has is please tell me this was a train. Uh, and again, the coroner's here, still doing a great job. Like, this this boy was eaten in half, yeah. which is a thing to say. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, they, don't, they don't show the body here, but they imply enough to give you a pretty good idea of what's going on there. And um, yeah, th- this is just a very brutal creature at this point. It's, it's being very clear about it just, devouring everything it can um they don't have many things to go on here they don't really have anyone else to go to so they go to the former sheriff uh harry stokes i think it was warren stokes uh who is actually native american um and with the lucas's drawings and the reports of what's going on with the killings uh he draws the conclusion that it's a wendigo um there's this amorphous spirit that can inhabit a body and once they commit cannibalism, transform them into a monster. Uh, very importantly, to kill it, you have to extinguish its heart, but you can only do that immediately after it's fed because feeding makes it hungrier, which makes it weaker, as it's presumably just for, for a time racked with hunger pains <laughs> until it stops eating and goes on the hunt again. 
which again is an interesting take. There's um again in sort of traditional Wendigo stuff, there's a bunch of stuff around that. Sometimes the more it eats, the bigger it grows. Uh again, this is probably given how um accurate they want to be with a lot of the, the stuff surrounding it so far. Probably another variation here traditionally of once it's eaten, it's weak for a while. Um but you know, they they have to give a monster a weakness in a movie, otherwise it would just be the back half of the movie is the invincible Wendigo kills the whole town of Cypress Falls. Um which wouldn't be as interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Paul does the annoying there's gotta be a logical explanation yep. and I'm like yep. I'm like you found <laughs> you've you've discovered like you found three partially cannibalized bodies within as many days. You found the mm. burnt corpse of a meth cooker that has been yep. flayed open. Like, mm. either it's a monster or there is a crazy cult doing crazy cult shit in your town. <laughs> um, and e- either one is not a particularly good option or is rational either and i'm just like yeah yeah once again like i really like i do really like this movie but every single time like the police like every single time the tropey stuff comes out i'm just like i'm just wait i i need the scene to be over because it's driving me insane (laughs) yeah well you know paul will get his come up eventually um (laughs) they they do find lucas uh, I believe back at his house and take him into the hospital because good God, that boy needs help. Uh, and we do get, as you mentioned earlier, the Eggman doctor. <laughs> yeah. I love that who, guy. I, I do. I, I really love that guy. He's got a sort of a very warm and caring disposition and he's just sort of friend shaped overall. Yes. It, yes. It's like the, it's, it is the friendliest old man I've ever seen in scrubs. Um, <laughs> And yeah, it does the whole thing of, you know, he's severely malnourished, he's severely dehydrated, and I probably don't have to tell you, he's definitely been abused. Talk to him tomorrow, don't talk to him tonight. Let yeah. the kid rest. Yeah, Paul does the, like, when can I interview him? I'm like, oh man, I want you to stop saying things and, and like, <laughs> go away, please, sir. Yeah, sir. <laughs> Enough. Um... <laughs> Yeah, uh, sort of after this point, uh, Julia reaches and is very firm on the decision that Lucas doesn't have any living relatives anymore. Clearly, uh, CPS, Child Protective Services, is not really active in this town because they had previously made the decision that Frank is good enough of a guardian for Lucas and Aiden uh, after he had lost his job and had been multiple times uh cited for mass dealing and revived with Narcan by yeah. Paul like multiple multiple times that like we did what we could and the court said he was a fit enough guardian so there's no one else who'll take him uh so Julia comes to the conclusion well we have to take Lucas in now um yeah they 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 get him to their house uh Paul has one of his deputies sort of on watch uh, ahead ahead of time around the house, uh, while he's out looking for a killer, because again, got to look for for a regular interpretation for this clearly horrific and probably supernatural series of events. Uh, and there's some movement out by the shed. Dan, the deputy, moves in to investigate and finds 
uh, a half-naked young boy hiding in a box in the shed, uh, clearly acting for, like, the third time in this film as bait. This, this, this is a group effort. This is team hunting uh, as the Wendigo uses Aiden as bait and then just walks up behind Dan and bores him to death with the antlers. Yep. Uh, which, hey, make, make prime use of those. That's what those are for. So this <laughs> entire sequence, like, mm. bugs me from an editing perspective because a lot yep. of it doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Um, Dan doesn't announce himself uh, to, no. to anybody at the house, even though he knows that, um, that Julie and, and Lucas are there. So, but he does let Paul know. He's like, I'm at your house, but he never like knocks on the door. He never's like, hey, your brother just wanted me to like make sure that the two of you are okay. Like, you know, reasonable yeah. stuff that you'd expect a police officer to do. Um, yeah. Then we get the, uh, the, the sequence where Lucas uh, basically spells out what's going on without spelling it out. Like mm. the, the creepies kid uh story uh, ex, uh trailer <laughs> yeah. explanation uh and then yeah. there's a howl and then they super react like something like horrible yeah. happened and i'm like no wait mm. shouldn't the reaction be to like dan being gored and murdered like it feels like this like it's this is edited out of sequence because there's also like they run out of the living room and her phone is ringing, but she doesn't grab mm. it. And I'm like, what, what is going on? Like I, I, <laughs> I, 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 as, as an editor, I thought I was going crazy during this sequence until Paul actually shows up uh, at yeah. the house because it, it like doesn't make any logical sense. Like the way mm. that these events are are presented like once again they're yeah. shot really well and they're really tense but i'm just like i really just like i i want to like take the sequence and recut it <laughs> yeah so that it, it, it like makes more <laughs> temporal sense yeah it, it could use like a five second insert the scene before where paul says i'll have dan sit outside in the car or something yes yes <laughs> anything literally it, yeah anything yeah. other than nothing would have been better yeah I, I will pay one major thing out of this scene, though. Um, so uh, the the screaming and the and the and the howling starts happening outside, and Julia immediately goes to a cabinet full of guns, yes, and grabs one and says, "Shit, these are all locked." And Paul has the key. Yeah, and like, hey, plus one point gun safety. Terrible time for it, right? <laughs> but actually, having a bunch of easily accessible firearms in the house be safely secured. Well done. He's actually showing somewhat responsibility in his role as the sheriff. <laughs> is this like the um, you know what is he's the opposite of um, what's his name? The the guy from Stranger Things. Oh, who plays the Hooper. sheriff. Oh, yeah, he's, he's the opposite of yeah. Uh, Hoop Hobbs. Hooper. Get the character Hooper? name. Hooper. Yeah, yeah. And I just I just distinctly remember one scene where he wakes up and immediately grabs a loaded gun off the bedside table. I go, that's. <laughs> Not a good example to be setting as the head of law enforcement in this town. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, point there for Paul. Good job, Paul. You knew there was going to be a child in the house, or you just knew in general there were people who are maybe not the most stable in the house, yourself included. And you took proper steps. Doesn't work when there's a monster around, unfortunately. Um, Paul quickly arrives on the scene himself. 
sees sees Dan just lying in the entrance to the shed, not moving, heads over, and I get that I found this very funny because for me this is what I would do in a stealth game is I would leave a body in a very obvious position so I could then sneak up on someone when they came to inspect it. Yep. Uh and it's exactly what the Wendigo does. It it sees Paul uh walking up to check on Dan and then immediately gores Paul from behind and throws him into the shed and then paces around, does some spooky stuff, and then it's making proper use of its physical size and strength. The shed is a flimsy wooden building. It just sort of busts down the wall and uh, Paul gets an antler right through the shoulder, which essentially puts him out of the fight for the rest of the film. He, he's not doing anything important from this point onwards. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, the, the Wendigo then takes Aiden and retrieves Lucas as well uh, and takes them out to the mine. Uh, which is where Lucas was pretty sure they'd be. Uh, Julia is not going to lose this kid after she's invested so much in making sure he's uh, happy and safe and drives herself and Paul over to the mine. Paul can't make it inside, so Julia goes in with a handgun and uh, a flare, I'm pretty sure, or a torch, one of the two, a, a lighting solution. Um, and we get yeah, sort not, of... Not her phone? Not her phone. Not no, her phone. No. Uh, Why yeah, would you have... She... She, in fact, <laughs> uses the police uh, in, in, in a clearly 80-yard line. She clearly mm -hmm. uses uh, Paul's police uh, radio to call yes. an ambulance for yes. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, uh, head, heads into the mine and quickly finds uh, Lucas just hiding behind some stacks of sheet metal. Uh, and he's begging her to be quiet and just leave. And she pans the light over to the right, and there is just a dead bear in the middle of being devoured by the Wendigo. We finally get a proper full shot of it. Uh, this is a great-looking monster. It now is. that we get to see it and, in all its and glory, and the worst like turn around and look at the light. Oh reveal. yeah. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Th this entire time, and probably the reason Lucas is convinced it's still his dad. <laughs> Is it's wearing his dad's face like a cheap Halloween mask? Yeah, uh, which is once it's a fantastic reveal, but it drives yeah. me insane because the continuity doesn't work on it because his <laughs> face was literally split in half. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, it's not quite right. So it's I'm not just, quite right. So I'm just like I'm like, <laughs> oh man, that's burst through Ooh. and then split the the rest of the head. Because the, the 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 husk they found was peeled open like a flower, right? And it may have just like, popped off the front bit. Maybe, yeah. but I did go back and look because, like, the skin on his like jaw rips when the antlers bust through, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, his, it still has his teeth in it because they were like, oh, we can identify it by the by teeth. his teeth, <laughs> yeah. Oof. So yeah, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, oh man, that's really cool. But I'm almost positive that that doesn't line up with the continuity that you've already established in your film. I mean, but I, I still been, like, really left like the it. jaw off. Yeah, like if they had yeah. the little terrible mustache and the yeah. forehead. I mean, that's all you would Facial need. It's got to be there. But they were maybe like maybe that, that would look funny, so they didn't do it that way. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was it was probably partially that, and they wanted it to be as recognizable as possible. 
because you you know there'd be someone who wasn't paying attention the first five minutes went wait whose face is that um (laughs) all all i'm saying filmmakers is hey if you want somebody to to keep an eye on your horrible bodily mutilation uh continuity in your films Mm. just look me up i i've got an eye for i've got an eye for it (laughs) yeah it's in your pocket very convenient (laughs) um uh but yeah no this is this is a really great design it is this massively tall but so cadaverous and malnourished like it is itself more or less skin and bone Mm -hmm. um like the the only thing of substance about it is this enormous crown rack of antlers Mm -hmm. that look like it looks like it should make up like half its body weight just based on the volume of the antlers itself um and yeah, once again, you see that burning heart uh, visible through the ribs, and has again everything about it is it it is sort of famine personified here. It is tightly drawn skin, like you can see the the tops of the hip bones like jutting out and contracted in. The stomach has actually a little pad to it because in in hey in the final stages of malnourishment, your stomach begins to bloat as your body eats itself. Fun facts, kids. Um, <laughs> it it everything about it screams terribly wrong supernatural manifestation of hunger, and I love it. Uh, and also, it's at its weakest right now, which is why it doesn't just instantly kill John, yes. like it did with everyone else, because it was literally just eating. Uh, so she has a fighting chance, gets off a few shots with a gun, and it just bats it out of her hands, and it it comes down to the hand to hand, as it were. She She's in a mine, so she's fighting it with a sharpened steel pipe off her. Uh, and I, I, I'll say this: Hey, harkening back to humanity's oldest weapon, I love the spear. Spear is good. Love a good spear scene. It's um, well, a spear and fire. She has like the torch. And yeah, it's, yeah. She yeah. like it's a grabs flare. a flare. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I love. There's a this fantastic like juxtaposition between she mm. stabbed it. Like I think twice, yes. I think the, the the thing's sticking mm. in its out of its ribs, but it yeah. it falls back and it's it's tired, and so it's just yeah, it's just it's kind of sitting out. there panting. But then she's tired, mm. so she's just sitting there. They're both just mm. <laughs> panting mm. and worn out from this fight. Yeah, it's really good. Like the thing is still incredibly scary, but they sort of sell that this is the one times a human could potentially reasonably beat it, right? Um, although again, not one human tag team, uh, just when all hope appears lost, it's Lucas coming in hot with the pocket knife, uh, and stabbing it in the back, which, um, sort of gets it, gets its last gasp out of it as it were. And then Julia flips it over and very aggressively pulls its rib cage open and gets that heart out because she remembers from, uh, from Warren Stoke, got to extinguish the heart. Uh, which does physically burn her hands. Yes. It's, it's really interesting. It's, it's this orb of, it, it looks like somewhat hot iron. It's got that orange hue to it, but it has like these brambles and bracken growing mm-hmm. over it. It's, it's very clear. Like it's a manufactured nature spirity body thing. It's not like naturally biological in any way. It, it is definitely beyond beyond doubt any doubt supernatural um i i kind of love how that looks uh but then 
we have a mo brief moment of triumph and then we hit the the real moment of tragedy which is because the monster is an amorphous spirit and not the physical creature itself the spirit ghosts its way 15 feet across the cave over to Aiden and immediately possesses him and he starts glowing and screeching to high heaven because uh, now it's in his body just waiting for the chance to chow down which is very unfortunate um, we get we get sort of very impassioned pleas from Lucas who obviously went through all of this more or less to protect his little brother and his dad and has just given up on his father because he sort of came to terms with the fact that he's not in the monster anymore uh, and doesn't want to lose his brother and Julia makes the, the very clear point that well he's not going to get better ever it's better to put him out of his misery and look uh, this might be unintentional little rough reading on a film that's mostly about trauma and abuse saying sometimes it's too bad you just yeah. gotta put, just gotta put him down I'm like mm, not the perfect perfect note to end on there but definitely hitting the the tragedy note that sort of overshadows this whole town well, it's maybe it's not only that but better. she's having to sell it to lucas yeah and going yeah i need you to understand that we can't mm. fix him because Lucas's whole he's, thing is, oh, he's sick, he'll get better. Yeah. And Which is that, that was and also the really rough part. Uh, because yeah. when, when he had returned from the mine, um, mm. the two boys were just, like, the, the their dad had, a, had just the last vestiges of himself that he built those mm. locks and locked. He's like, yeah. you boys lock me in here, and then, you know, no matter mm. what, don't let me out. But he's, yeah. he's already, and, like, just all messed up. Yeah, um, and but the he, he, he boy is on. sick. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably from the uh, meth fumes. Partially, at least is what yeah. I'm thinking. Because he went into the mine to go find his yeah. dad, and yeah. they're it's... in an area where you have to have those masks on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like the the running thing throughout the film seems to be that the spirit can possess you if you're physically injured by the monster. So I guess the or just at a really weak state, I think, or in a regular state, yeah, yeah, because like early at the beginning of the film, clearly, uh, Frank got injured by the Wendigo when he fought it in the mines, and then we had those same embers in the air as Aiden stepped into the mine himself. So it's potentially implied it also just sort of attacked him before Frank managed to fight it off and get them both home. Uh, or yeah, he he was just physically or spiritually, I don't know, weak enough that he became sort of the next host in line at some point. Uh, but Frank, hey, gotta say this, terrible father, really held it together for his kids right at the end. Yeah, like for the for the last month of physically starving to death, only able to eat raw meat and roadkill. Still, throughout the film, up until the principal came in, recognized Lucas when he came into the attic and kept back enough to make sure he wouldn't hurt him. And obviously didn't hurt Aiden because Aiden's the next host. Um, but, you know, like, he he held it together for his boys for a long time in the end, under what I would call, 
uh, unbearable situations. Uh, yeah, I think it must not feel great. No, and, and one of my the, my the, the the worst parts I felt was when mm. uh, Lucas is trying to like keep the whole thing together, and it's just him yeah. and his brother, and but Aiden's getting real sick. Uh, yeah, and so he goes to try to tell his dad, who's you know, mm. it's just his dad to him. Yeah. Yeah, um, but his dad is already way too far gone. He opens the door and he's like, mm. "Hey, Aiden, sit." And then his dad just like yanks him into the thing mm. and shuts the door. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's terrible. It doesn't doesn't so, have the capacity to explain anymore. Is just gonna yeah, do what needs to and, be done. And until yeah. the because that was like a little flashback bit. Yeah, um, but until that point, I had thought that Aiden was dead. And uh, yeah, Lucas was okay. just seeing his like little Wendigo ghost. Okay, yeah, because he, because yeah. you know, he's just up in the attic with the dad. So why wasn't he being? Yeah, it was you know, there's no, wasn't explaining it at that point. Yeah, but he yeah. kept bringing him candies and you know actual food. Yeah, as opposed to just roadkill. Yeah. But his brother eventually couldn't even eat that. Yeah, yeah, eventually sort of spilled over that same edge of physical corruption. Yeah, I mean, he, um, he was yeah. he already, um, so the thing that's weird is, like, I wonder if there's just more than one Wendigo spirit, because uh, even when yeah. the Wendigo was already um, in Frank, mm. like, it already had manifested, yeah. Um, when, when Lucas went to go give Aiden, like, the candy, or the thing he mm. was giving him, uh, Lucas is, like, the bleeding out of his eyes with that the tar yeah. kind of blood yeah uh i it's reasonable to think that because i think it's entirely possible because first off there there was one initial physical creature right in the mine at the beginning that is never wrapped up whether whether frank managed to kill it when it attacked him and aiden or whether it got out and that's the reason half of Carrie's body was out in the woods, mm-hmm. like a couple miles out from the mine, or whether, you know, an animal could have also just pulled it out there, whatever. But uh, it's the film sort of leaves that untouched, which I think, looping back to that thing you said a while earlier, Leonard, about this could be a shorter film, you could definitely have done a, sh- a sort of 40 minute version of this film that ends with instead of the principal going into the house, the police going to the house and taking out Frank exactly. before he transforms. Yep. But still having the open possibility of, oh, but where's the original monster? Because it was not dealt with in the mine. We never found it in there. So it's just out in the woods now. Um, and leave leave that open for sequels or whatever you want to do or longer forms. Um, but it could have worked like that, definitely. Um Yeah. Well and then yeah. Um, Lucas, when he's drawing all of his pictures, mm. uh, it's it's of Frank and Aiden, but they're both Wendigo. Yes, yeah. Like they both they're, have. They're like both there's a big up. horned and a little horned guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I could absolutely believe an interpretation of this where there are two or more spirits going around, which. Hey, uh, until dawn is like, oh, there's only one monster. It's like there's like nine, <laughs> yeah. running around. Um, yeah, but you know, in the end of it, Julia, uh, stabs a stabs an eight year old to death before he can turn into a real literal horror movie monster. Uh, and that's 
surely not good for her own progress on her past trauma, but at least they're all still alive. Uh, she and Paul are taking care of Lucas formally, I guess, at this point. They presumably adopted him or got guardianship or something. Um, but the, the film ends with them sort of out on the rocky shore of the lake there, um, or, or the ocean. I, I can't tell. It's, it's a big water. Oh, uh, it's a, it's a lake. It's <laughs> a lake? It Thank is you. Lake. I don't, I don't know American geography. I don't know what's <laughs> up in Oregon. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, they're, they're out sort of walking with Lucas there. Uh, Paul has his arm all slung up because he's been terribly injured. And he and Julia are talking about, you know, you know, eventually, what if this happens to Lucas as well? He's like, it's like raising a tiger in your house. And could you kill something you love? So like, it's, it's going to be fine. And she goes to take care of Lucas, wipes a little schmutz off his face, which, is it just chocolate? Has he been secretly leaking goo? <laughs> um, and uh, Paul, who is injured by the Wendigo's physical form, uh, in the background... Ha- starts having a bit of a coughing fit and starts coughing up the tar and has a little leaking out of his eyes as this this saga is clearly not permanently dealt with because oh, I, I guess mm, to, to deal with the Wendigo you need to do a perfect no-hit run. You, you um, can't. So <laughs> right. you, you, when, yeah. um, when the old sheriff is telling them what's going on, mm. uh, he's like, you. the best you can do is tear out the heart, but that mm. just frees it up to go find another host. Right. Yeah. So yeah. when she when she killed Aiden, it's just she just set it free again. It's it's yeah. like um what is that uh Fallen? Yes. With yep. Denzel yep. Washington. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Star starring Denzel Washington. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean again, hewing hewing close to the law there and Again, uh, I, I kind of like the contrast with this in Until Dawn, where in Until Dawn, the solution was just get people infected and then lock them up. It's like, well, we can't let him suffer, so we're going to kill him. And, you know, and in the moment, compassionate, compassionate decision is probably not the best one in the situation, but, uh, it's what they've got. And so it ends on that sort of hook of Paul's definitely going to turn eventually sometime in the relatively near future. Uh, this town is probably just as doomed as as it, as it would have been if they didn't start reopening the mines anyway. And that's that's our lovely little slice of depressing hell. <laughs> yep, that's antlers. That yeah, mm. it's it's a it's a bummer. Like I said, mm. like I I am I have become a a a huge proponent of the uh, quiet desperation horror film. Um, those seem to be the ones that resonate with me the most. Like I had my mm. fun with like Freddy and Jason and your slashers and all that nonsense when I yeah. was a kid, but as an adult, like this is like, like oh no, like the supernatural is just like and like gravy on top of like the misery uh, pot mm. pie that is these people's <laughs> lives beforehand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's. <laughs> It was already a terrible place to live, and now we've just got a famine monster walking around every two to six weeks. It's fine. <laughs> this is just the quiet, desperate situation we live in. Right. No one's got a job, everyone's dealing meth, and also there's a monster out in the mines. Right. A, a ghost, a spirit. Just... Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. The the ghost of Mother Nature objecting to the coal industry. Right. <laughs> yeah. And cannibalism. Um, and cannibalism. Hey, that stuff's bad. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> it makes you stink. It does. Gives you the jitters. <laughs> oh, speaking of cannibalism, my cat is attempting to eat my hand. Hold on. Stop that. Ow. Been Cameron, Cameron is a cat confirmed here on yes. this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> She's family. It counts. <laughs> it's, it's societal cannibalism, if it's, even if it's not species-based. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really liked this film. I waited a long time to watch it between knowing it was coming and then the extra year and a half waiting for it to actually come out. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. It's it's good to have a bummer horror every now and then, and it had a really great creature design. It touched on uh, a lot of deeper themes than a lot of horror movies do. A lot of monster movies are just, here's the monster you could potentially interpret as being about whatever, but really, it's a monster. Whereas here, it's very clearly tied into what is going on in the town and the main character's own particular traumas. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun for me. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I I enjoyed this. So I hadn't heard anything about. I just missed the boat on this one. Um, mm. so this was the first mention of it. I, I mean, I think I saw the little um preview on uh Hulu or I guess where I watched it. Yeah. Um, but like little blurb and was like, oh, it probably should be in my watch list, but. Yeah, hadn't um, read into what it was, and so I was pleasantly surprised, and just really, I mean, I just really enjoyed the atmosphere and mm. the, the mm. cinematography. I liked that more than anything else. But, um, yeah, again, sucker for practical effects. And I thought this was just a really fun uh, version of the Wendigo, like the actual monster. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, and Leonard, your thoughts? Besides yeah, one. Uh, by desperation being good. <laughs> yes, once again, uh, to echo Dave, um, real what love the cinematography, the mood, the tone, like how long they hold on shots. I think the acting was fantastic. I I do, in fact, like I I know I've I I nitpicked a little, um, but I did really enjoy this monster. Uh, monster, mm. I did enjoy the monster, <laughs> but I also enjoyed the movie. Um, mm. It is when it like gets into like the very tropey horror movie stuff where that I kind of like roll my eyes and wait for the yeah. sequence to be over, but that's yeah. not too much of it. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so I do have to agree. Like this is uh, it was a surprise um, because I had heard about it and then I didn't hear anything else about it. Um, <laughs> so I, it, it was nice to have a, like a nice little surprise like this. And one of the things I like, aside from the film itself, I think like, I really appreciate uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, use of, of his producer status for films mm. like this, because like, it feels like he's fostering talent by yeah, allowing yeah. films like like because you know we've got this there was like mama so many years ago um mm. 
that, you know, wasn't great, but still had some interesting ideas and had like interesting visuals and like interesting execution and stuff. So I like appreciate like the fostering of this creative talent more than anything else. So I, I'm I'm happy that this movie exists, and I also think that it's really good. Mm. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. All right. Uh, well, that's that. Go watch Antlers. Uh, we've told you the whole story, but it is visually, uh, with the cinematography and the and the practical effect, it is really worth a watch, even if you're spoiled on how it goes. Uh, uh, and we'll get into some admin. So, you can find the show, surprisingly, still on Twitter, at mon underscore demonster, where we give updates when episodes come out. And if you want to send us any feedback, you can send it to us through there. Um, You can find me, surprisingly, also still on Twitter, at night underscore twitten, as night without the K. If you want to see my cat giving the signature look of superiority, uh, that is now up there because she gave me some very good shots earlier today uh <laughs> dave where can we find you online i'm on twitter at sentinel underscore plus which will be in the show notes as always um twitter is it's kind of still working so i'm yeah. still there uh leonard how about yourself Yes, you can also find me on Twitter because I will anchor my body to that stupid hell site <laughs> until yeah. it no longer exists. I refuse. I actively refuse. Uh, and you can find me at Dr. Faust is Dead. You can also find me at Umbranauts Productions. Uh, but more importantly, uh, you can also find uh, my video essay and just general video mm-hmm. work on YouTube by searching Dr. Faust is Dead or Umbra Knox Productions. And Cameron, wait, yeah. you already did. I already you. went. You all know. <laughs> I almost We're just going <laughs> fractal into infinity. Oh god! Yeah, we, no. we've become oh. that fractal waterfall. <laughs> yeah, we got you. Got too close. Now you know that it's just a loop. <laughs> Oh, no. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this one, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye, folks. Goodbye. Monster Dear Monster is brought to you by Fireheart Media. If you enjoyed the show, please share this and all of our episodes with friends. And remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Word of mouth is the only way we grow. If you like, you can also kick us a few bucks to help us keep the lights on at ko-fi.com slash fireheartmedia. Check out our other show, Jalachan's Place, at www.jalachan.place.